Chapter Thirteen of In the Arctic Seas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In the Arctic Seas by Captain F. L. McClintock. Chapter Thirteen. Doctor Walker's zeal for travelling was not to be restrained. I therefore gladly availed myself of his willingness to go with a party to Cape Airy and bring back the depot of provisions left there in August last. These trips will delay our spring journey for a few days. During my absence from the Fox the weather was often stormy and temperature unusually low. The mean for the month of February was minus 36 degrees, showing it to be one of the coldest on record. When possible the men were allowed to go out shooting and obtain 50 or 60 ptarmigan and a hare. A few foxes were taken in traps, and two reindeer were seen. Yesterday two bears came near the ship, but were frightened away by the dogs. Hobson shot two ptarmigan. Today I rambled over the hills, the weather being fine, and saw a hare. 29th. Continued fine weather. A couple more foxes and a lemming in its brown coat have been captured, and a hare and four ptarmigan shot. This fine bright weather seems to have awakened the lemmings and ermines. Their tracks, which were very rarely seen during winter, are now tolerably numerous. Foxes appear in greater numbers, probably following up the ptarmigan from the south. The thermometer ranges between zero and minus twenty degrees. It has once been up to plus thirteen degrees. When exposed to a noonday sun against the ship's side, it rises fifty degrees higher. The earth thermometer, placed two feet two inches beneath the surface, which gradually fell until the tenth of this month, has now begun to ascend. Its minimum was one half of a degree. Much snow also lay over it, six feet deep at this season. On the 25th, Dr. Walker and his party returned, not having been able to find the depot. They found a barrel of flour upon the beach a few miles south of Brentford Bay. It appeared to have lain there for years, just inside a shingle projection, which kept off the ice pressure, so that it had not been forced up high upon the beach. The ice which bore it there, probably from Port Leopold, had disappeared, and the cask was frozen into the shingle. The heading has been brought on board, but the scribing upon it is very indistinct and unintelligible to us. The flower is of the ordinary description used in the navy, and known as seconds. Most of it was good, and a plain pudding made of it for our mess could not be distinguished from fresh flour. A specimen has been preserved with the view of identifying it with the Fury Beach or Port Leopold stores of flour. With the exception of a solitary bear, the party saw no living creatures. The shore along which they travelled was a very low shingly limestone. Last evening I was delighted to see Young and his two dog sledges heave into sight. He brought about eight hundred weight of sugar from Fury Beach, but not without much difficulty, owing to the roughness of the pack in Creswell Bay, and also to the breaking down of one of his sledges. To avoid this pack he found it necessary to travel nearly all round Creswell Bay. Cape Garry he describes as a gradually curved extent of flat land, and not the decided cape it appears to be upon the chart. Two reindeer were seen near it, and during the journey four bears. No other animals were met with. His labours had been very severe. One sledge broke down and all the sugar had to be piled upon the other. The consequence was that the sledge was so heavily loaded that it would only run freely after the dogs on smooth ice, and directly any hummocks were encountered, the dogs, with their usual instinct not to drag a sledge unless it does run freely, would lie down and oblige Captain Young and his two men to unload and carry the packages over the obstacle upon their own backs. After this, snow blindness came on. Young and one of his men became blind as kittens. 
the third man had to load lead and unload them when these portages occurred young's eskimo dog-driver samuel was quite blind when the party reached the ship two dogs not choosing to allow themselves to be caught and put in harness had been still left behind at the last encampment there still remains at fury beach an immense stack of preserved vegetables and soups the party supped off them and found them good young brought me back two specimen tins of carrots plain and carrots and gravy all small casks and packages were covered with snow of the large ones which appeared through it he saw thirty-four casks of flour five of split peas five of tobacco and four of sugar only a very few tons of coals remained there were two boats a short four-oared gig and a large cutter the former required nothing but caulking to make her serviceable but the latter had a large portion of one bow and side cut out as if for making or repairing flat sledges no record was found we now have enough sugar to last us for seven or eight months but by the survey of provisions which has just been completed we find a deficiency of many other articles including three casks of salt beef fortunately this is of no consequence as we have abundance of both salt and preserved meat but it shows the alarming extent to which a negligent steward may mislead one this unfortunate man has now got scurvy want of exercise and fresh air is the apparent cause combined with irregular living the spirits have hitherto been in his charge the bustle of preparation for the extended searching journeys has been exciting hobson's party and my own are now all prepared and young having returned we propose setting out on the second of april god willing young's new sledge will be ready and he will also start a few days after us all our winter defences of snow our porches our deck layer and our external embankment have been removed dr walker of necessity remains in charge of the ship with two stewards a cook a carpenter and a stoker my party as well as hobson's will be provisioned including the depots for an absence of about eighty-four days but not being able to afford auxiliary or supporting sledge parties much time will be occupied in transporting our depots further out in order that we may start with as much as we can possibly carry from the magnetic pole besides leaving there a depot for our return the declinometer was taken on board two days ago hourly observations have been made with it for more than five months we can no longer spare any one for this interesting duty twenty fourth june one thing is certain the wild sort of tent life we lead in arctic exploration quite unfits one for such tame work as writing up a journal my present attempt will illustrate the fact yet with such ample materials what a deeply interesting volume might be written since i last opened this familiar old diary the repository alike of dry facts and the most trivial notes winter has passed away summer is far advanced and the glorious sun is again returning southward we too have endeavoured to move on with the times and seasons as for myself i have visited montreal island completed the exploration and circuit of king william's island passing on foot through the only feasible northwest passage but all this is as nothing to the interest attached to the franklin records picked up by hobson and now safe in my possession we now know the fate of the erebus and terror the sole object of our voyage has at length been completed and we anxiously await the time when escape from these bleak regions will become practicable the morning of april second was inauspicious but as the day advanced the weather improved so that hobson and i were able to set out upon our journeys we each had a sledge drawn by four men besides a dog sledge and a dog driver mr peterson having volunteered his services to drive my dogs an offer too valuable to be declined managed my dog sledge throughout 
Our five starveling puppies were harnessed, for the first time in their lives, to a small sledge which I drove myself, intending to sell them to the Eskimo if I could get them to drag their own supply of provisions so far. The procession looked imposing. It certainly was deeply interesting. There were five sledges, twelve men, and seventeen dogs, the latter of all sizes and shapes. The ship hoisted the Royal Harwich yacht flag, and our sledges displayed their gay silk banners. Mine was a very beautiful one, given me by Lady Franklin. It bears her name in white letters upon a red ground, and is margined with white embroidery. It was worked by the sisters of Captain Collinson. The equipment of my sledge party and the weights were as follows. Those of Hobson and Young were almost precisely similar. Two sledges and fitting complete, 110 pounds. Tent, waterproof blanket, floor cloth, two sleeping robes, and six blanket sleeping bags, 90 pounds. Cooking utensils, shovel, saw, snow knife, and sundry small articles, 40 pounds. Sledge gun and ammunition, 20 pounds. Magnetic and astronomical instruments, 60 pounds. Six knapsacks containing spare clothing, 60 pounds. Various tins and bags in which provision and fuel were stored, 50 pounds. Articles for barter, 40 pounds. Provisions, 930 pounds. Total, 1,400 pounds. The load for each man to drag was fixed at 200 pounds, and for each dog, 100 pounds. Our provisions consisted mainly of pemmican, biscuit, and tea, with a small addition of boiled pork, rum, and some tobacco. The men being untrained to the work, and sledges heavily laden, our march was fatiguing and slow. We encamped that night upon the long lake. On the second day we reached the western sea, and upon the third, aided by our sledge sails, we advanced some miles beyond Arsidekni Island. The various depots carried out with so much difficulty and danger in autumn were now gathered up as we advanced, until at length we were so loaded as to be compelled to proceed with one half at a time going three times over the same ground. For six days this tedious mode of progression was persevered in, by which time, 15th April, we reached the low limestone shore in latitude 71 degrees 7 minutes north, and which continues thence in an almost straight line southward for 60 or 70 miles. We now commenced laying down provisions for our consumption upon the return journey, and the snow being unusually level, we were able to advance with the whole of our remaining provisions, amounting to nearly sixty days' allowance. Hitherto the temperature continued low, often nearly thirty degrees below zero, and at times with cutting north winds, bright sun and intensely strong snow glare. Although we wore coloured spectacles, yet almost all suffered great inconvenience and considerable pain from inflamed eyes. Our faces were blistered, lips and hands cracked, Never were men more disfigured by the combined effects of bright sun and bitterly cold winds. Fortunately, no serious frostbites occurred, but frostbitten faces and fingers were universal. On 20th of April, in latitude 70 and a half degrees north, we met two families of natives, comprising twelve individuals. Their snow huts were upon the ice three-quarters of a mile offshore, and their occupation was seal-hunting. They were the same people with whom I had communicated at Cape Victoria in February. Old Una Lee laid his hands on Peterson's shoulders to measure their width, and said, He is fatter now. True enough, the February temperature and sharp marching had caused both of us at that time to shrink considerably. Their snow huts were built in the above form, the common entrance and both passages being just sufficiently high to get in without having to crawl upon our hands and knees. 
a slab of ice in the roof admitted sufficient light a snowbank or bench two feet high and occupying half the area of each hut was covered with reindeer skins and formed the family place of repose an angular snow bench served as the kitchen table and immediately beside it sat the lady of the establishment attending the stone lamp which stood thereon and the stone cooking vessel suspended over it the lamp was a shallow open vessel the fuel seal oil and the wick dried moss her tinder-box was a little sealskin bag of soft dry moss and with a lump of iron pyrites and a broken file she struck fire upon it i purchased the file because it was marked with the government broad arrow we saw two large snow shovels made of mahogany board some long spear handles a bow of english wood two preserved meat tins and a deal case which might have once contained a large telescope or a barometer it measured three feet one inch in length by nine inches wide and three and a half inches deep there was no lid but part of the brass hinges remained i also purchased a knife which had some indistinct markings upon it such as ships cutlasses or swords usually have the man told us it had been picked up on the shore near where a ship lay stranded that it was then about the length of his arm but his countryman who picked it up broke it into lengths to make knives after much anxious inquiry we learned that two ships had been seen by the natives of king william's island one of them was seen to sink in deep water and nothing was obtained from her a circumstance at which they expressed much regret but the other was forced on shore by the ice where they suppose she still remains but is much broken from this ship they have obtained most of their wood etc and utlulik is the name of the place where she grounded formerly many natives lived there now very few remain all of the natives have obtained plenty of the wood the most of this information was given us by the young man who sold the knife old unali who drew the rough chart for me in march to show where the ship sank now answered our questions respecting the one force on shore not a syllable about her did he mention on the former occasion although we asked whether they knew of only one ship i think he would have willingly kept us in ignorance of the wreck being upon their coasts and that the young man unwittingly made it known to us the latter also told us that the body of a man was found on board the ship that he must have been a very large man and had long teeth this is all he recollected having been told for he was quite a child at the time they both told us it was in the fall of the year that is august or september when the ships were destroyed that all the white people went away to the large river taking a boat or boats with them and that in the following winter their bones were found there these two eskimo families had been up as far north as the tasmania group in latitude seventy one and a quarter degrees north and were returning to nayat chile hunting seals by the way those we met at cape victoria had already gone there the nearest natives to us at present they said were residing at the island of amitoki ten days distant from here can this amitoki be matty island we purchased some seals blubber and flesh as well as their two only dogs but next morning unali repented of his bargain or feigned to do so but as he came without the knife to exchange back we retained his dog he tried to steal a tin vessel off one of the sledges and perhaps it was for the purpose of regaining our favour that he made known to us just as we were starting that his countrymen had followed my homeward track in march discovering my depot of blubber articles for barter and two revolvers and carried them all off to nayat chile by no means pleasant intelligence their dogs must have enabled them to find the blubber by scenting it for it was buried under four feet of snow and strong winds obliterated all traces upon the surface i was now glad we had purchased both the dogs of the men as it would probably prevent their seeking for our depots to the northward the knowledge of the insecurity of all depots amongst these people will keep us on our guard for the future 
I regretted the loss of the pistols, as it left my party with no other arms than two guns. Una Lee told us when we first met him that one of his countrymen was very sick. Not seeing a sick man in their huts, we forgot all about it until after starting, when Peterson interpreted to me Una Lee's parting information, and told me how he described that the breech of the revolver turned round. It then occurred to me that one of the men might have been wounded. They had discovered how to cock the locks, and the pistols were loaded and capped. Una Lee was well acquainted with the coastline up to Bellow Strait, and had different names for the different headlands, although he had never been so far north. He made many inquiries about the position of our ship, her size, and the number of men. Had he been able to travel so far with his wife and several young children, and without sledge or dogs, I think he would certainly have gone up to Port Kennedy. We did not give him any encouragement to do so. His wife was one of the most importune of the many women we saw at Cape Victoria in March. She was the woman who plucked out an infant by its arm from inside her dress, and exposed it regardless of minus thirty degrees and a fresh wind, as I have previously told. The information respecting both the missing ships was most important, and it remained for us to discover, if possible, the stranded ship. Continuing our journey, we crossed a wide bay upon level ice, and the most perfectly smooth hard snow I ever saw. There must have been much open water here late last autumn. Seven or eight snow huts, recently abandoned, were found near the magnetic pole. During the 25th, 26th, and 27th, we were confined to our tents by a very heavy southeast gale, with severe cold. Early on the 28th we reached Cape Victoria. Here Hobson and I separated. He marched direct for Cape Felix, King William's Land, whilst I kept a more southerly course. Not daring to leave depots upon this coast, we carried on our whole supply, intending to deposit a small portion upon the Clarence Islands. Hobson was unwell when we parted, complaining of stiffness and pain in his legs. Neither of us then suspected the cause. I gave him directions to search the west coast of King William's Island for the stranded ship, and for records, and to act upon such information as he might obtain in this way, or from the natives but should that shore prove destitute of traces to carry out if possible our original plan for the completion of discovery and search upon victoria land comprising the blank space between the extremes visited by captain collinson and mr winniot i soon found that my party had to labour across a rough pack nor was it until the third day that we completed the traverse of the strait and encamped near to the entrance of port parry in king william's island although the weather was clear and that by our reckoning we passed directly over the assigned position of the two southern of the clarence islands yet we saw nothing of them a day was devoted to securing a depot in a huge mass of grounded ice and in repairing and drying equipment or to speak more correctly in getting rid of the ice which encumbered our sleeping bags and gear this we effected by beating them well and exposing them to the direct rays of the sun magnetic and other observations gave me ample employment the only immediate result of which was my being almost snow-blind for the following two days. On May 2nd we set off again briskly, our load being diminished to thirty days' provisions, and the sledge-sail set, we soon reached the land and travelled along it for Cape Sabine. It was very thick weather, and we were unable to see any distance in consequence of the mist and snow-drift. The following day was no better, and the shore, which we dared not leave to cross the bays, was extremely low we soon discovered that we had strayed inland but guided by the wind continued our course upon may fourth we descended into wellington strait and the weather being tolerably clear crossed over to the south-west extreme of matty island in the hope of meeting with natives no traces of them having been met with since leaving cape victoria 
off this southwest point we found a deserted village of nearly twenty snow huts besides several others within a few miles upon either side of it in all of them i found shavings or chips of different kinds of wood from the lost expedition they appear to have been abandoned only within a fortnight or three weeks abundance of blubber was gathered up to increase our stock of fuel and had we encamped here the dogs would have feeded sumptuously off the scraps and bones of seals strewed about the runners or sides of some old sledges left here were very ingeniously formed out of rolls of sealskin about three and a half feet long and flattened so as to be two or three inches wide and five inches high the sealskins appeared to have been well soaked and then rolled up flattened into the required form and allowed to freeze the underneath part was coated with a mixture of moss and ice laid smoothly on by hand before being allowed to freeze the moss i suppose answering the purpose of hair in mortar to make the compound adhere more firmly from this spot the shoreline of matty island turned sharply to the north northeast there were some considerable islands to the east but thinking the most southerly of this group named Owatar by the eskimo the most likely place to find the natives i pushed on in that direction until we encamped thick fog enveloped us for the next two days we could not find the island but found a very small islet near it off which was another snow village very recently abandoned the sledge tracks plainly showing that the inhabitants had gone to the east northeast which is straight for near chile it was now evident that these places of winter resort were deserted and that here at least we should not find any natives i was the more sorry at having missed them as from the quantity of wood chips about the huts they had probably visited the stranded ship alluded to by the last eskimo we had met and the route to which lies up an inlet visible from here and then overland three or four journeys to the westward until the opposite coast of king william's land is reached the largest huts measured twelve feet in diameter by six or seven feet high the greater part were constructed in pairs having a passage twenty or twenty-five feet long serving as the common entrance where the passage divides into two branches there was a small hut which served as a sort of antechamber for the reception of such articles as were intended to remain frozen End of chapter 13